How are you doing today? I'm doing really great, Evan. I'm glad to be part of the uh, series today. Yeah, and you're you're not behind the scenes uh, like like you have been over the past couple. You're uh, you're live and interacting, uh, and it's it's good to have you on to talk about this. So um, today, for everybody watching live, we're going to be talking about building a valid auto calculated critical power without racing opportunities, and that's the important thing. We still are, um, you know, bringing this stride for the love of running webinar series to you. Uh, and we wanted to talk about, you know, some of the points maybe we heard from people's feedback over, um, you know, the, the, the past couple of days, past couple of weeks, as people get more and more used to type of situation where they're not racing as much. Um, Gus, I guess at the top of the show, do we want to talk about how this for the love of running series is going to progress? Just what our schedule looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So everyone knows we've been doing three episodes per week, and we've been having a lot of fantastic guests on from the world of running, a lot of connections we've built up over the last half decade of, mm -hmm. of doing Stride and, and working with Running Power. Mm -hmm. And uh, these folks have brought a lot of crucial knowledge. And uh, we're, we also want to cater to a lot of this knowledge has been based towards the uh, the runner that doesn't have stride or just general running knowledge, but we also want to cater more towards the runner who has stride. Mm -hmm. So to that end, we are going to be working in more stride content into the uh, into the week and keeping a balance between the external guest and then uh, stride content that we can use to empower the community. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we want to, like we'll talk about uh, a little bit later in the presentation, it's all about balance, right? So uh, we're going to start balancing things out in terms of our own schedule. We're still going to bring uh, fantastic guests on, but we're going to um, also add in, uh, you know, some of these sessions where we talk about specific topics that we've kind of prepared and we can continue to push that knowledge uh, from, from the Stride platform to people tuning in. So um, without further ado, we're going to get uh, started, I guess, here, uh, if, if we got the green light, Gus. Yeah, let's go. Awesome. Cool. So again, today's topic is going to be about building a valid auto-calculated critical power without racing opportunities. If you have any questions along the way, please feel free to drop them in the chat, uh, either on YouTube or in the Facebook comment section if you're, wa if you're watching live. Uh, if you have any questions whatsoever, uh, I would highly encourage people to join the Stride community, or you can always email us at support at stride.com as well. So just getting a little bit familiar with what we're going to talk about today. There are a couple um, terms that we'll use. And just to give people a little bit of uh, information, when we are talking about the autocritical power model, uh, we, we use a model that considers a couple different types of energy systems. And you don't have to be a sports scientist or an exercise physiologist to have a complete understanding of this, you should just be familiar with some of the terms that we're going to talk about, especially be familiar with some of these time ranges that we're going to reference specifically here. So um, if you've used the stride.com slash power center platform, you should be familiar with the concept of a power duration curve. So you're looking at the amount of power that you can sustain for a certain duration. As your duration increases, your ability to output power diminishes, and that is a totally individual thing. So your power duration curve is individualized to you, but we can 
use uh, you know, some of the great modeling and some of the great uh, literature out there to look at a model that fits your power duration curve. And there are a couple of components to keep in mind. Uh, the first being that very left-hand side, the very short duration has a high contribution from the alactic energy system. So things that are uh, very, very, very short, uh, high intensity. And then as you move uh, you know, a little bit farther right, you extend that duration. Let's say we're looking now at the 60 to 90 second time range. There's gonna be more contribution here from what's called your anaerobic or lactic uh, energy system contribution. And then you notice this little bit smaller, shorter, longer extended uh, blue, bluish green, tealish color uh, aerobic bubble here. You notice on the very left-hand side that it has a small contribution, even of the very, very short, uh, you know, the very, very shorthand uh, alactic energy system contribution from that 10 to 12 second range, but that aerobic contribution slowly grows throughout uh, the duration as you extend duration. But you should notice in your own running too, that your power duration curve kind of falls off and it almost looks like it plateaus. That's because the ability to contribute from your aerobic side grows and then it kind of sustains and then it'll drop off at a um, you know kind of finite period of time. And that's relative to the individual. That's not what we're gonna be focusing on necessarily today. We're gonna to be looking at the modeled power curve. So you should be able to see this black line here that follows on top of all these energy system contributions. All of these things work together in your body to give you your ability to output this power. And the modeled power curve is an illustration of what the modeling from these contributions from efforts that you have done gives us the information to draw this modeled line. So um, this is something just to be aware of uh, and just kind of have a basic understanding as we talk a little bit more in depth about this stuff. Was there any other points that you wanted to add in here, Gus? Yeah, so this is all about showing off what you're capable of. You want to show off your energy systems. You want to show off what you're capable of alactically, anaerobically, and aerobically. And that that really tells stride what you're capable of. So it's important to show off all these energy systems. Yeah. And there's actually a few a few questions I want to uh, I want to pass on here. Mm -hmm. So Eric Lorenz asks: Is alactic more or less the same as the creatine? Uh, phosphate. Phosphate yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that's actually something we talked with uh, Kevin Purvis about uh, in, in the strength training. So if people are um, maybe used to hearing about creatine, supplementing creatine, creatine phosphate, uh, it's, 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 it's all related. That, that type of uh, ability and energy that you have to produce to sustain extremely high amounts of power for a very short period of time comes from a specific energy system. So yeah, if we're talking about, uh, you know, calling it something like alactic or creatine phosphate contribution, that's not really what we're trying to get into for like getting too far into the weeds today. We're just talking about being aware that we're looking at a balance between that very, very short uh, duration, high intensity, that kind of a uh, little bit longer, a little bit lower, and then a lot longer, um, a, little, a, a little bit lower even than that. So yeah, cre creatine phosphate is the um, type of, yeah, kind of idea for that alactic contribution there. 
Uh, there's a few more questions, but we'll mm -hmm. uh, get to these in, sure. uh, in a bit. Sure. So uh, we're going to continue. And then, yeah, if anybody has any questions, please, please uh, feel free to drop them in there. What we want to do with this type of series is give a set kind of structured presentation from a Stride point of view, give you a little bit more information about Stride, but also use this time to answer any general questions and answers that you might have, because we find that very useful as well. Um, so going on. Uh, Typically, the flow that we look for uh, in training is you train, you test that training, and you race. That's what we look for to give you a valid auto-calculated critical power. So what happens now if you don't have that race portion? Typically, we'll recommend that you know to get the most accurate auto-CP possible, you need those high intensity all out efforts just to give us the best idea like Gus referenced earlier. We, we wanna see what you're capable of. That helps us uh, and that informs the model uh, the, the most. But what happens when you can't race? Well, you still have the ability to test in training. Um, there was a, a good quote that uh, you know I follow in the Paladino Power Project group um, from Steve Palladino and Andy Coggin, and the phrase goes, testing is training. Um, and so I, I really like that of especially embracing the times right now of feeling like, oh, you know, I just have had this emotional strain, this emotional stress of finding out that my races are canceled. And we just don't know when things are going to continue to get back on schedule. But you should be confident that your ability to test in training is going to give you a valid auto-calculated critical power. And there are a couple points uh, before moving on to the next slide. Why is it maybe important, Gus, for somebody to have a valid auto-calculated critical power? There are other things in the Stride ecosystem that rely on your auto-CP being as close as possible, but what could maybe be a reason why somebody right now will want to embrace actually seeking a valid auto-CP? Yeah, so this is a really crucial time period. So it's been about a month, maybe just a bit longer since mm -hmm. we really started quarant uh, the quarantine period. And basically, your activity is the last 30 days of a full contribution to your auto-calculated critical power. After that first 30 days, if you haven't raced, if you haven't been you know, doing max effort sessions, those are going to start to depreciate from your critical power. And mm -hmm. when they start depreciating, your critical power is going to change. And it's going to change, and you're going to be running in different power zones. Yeah. And what you want to be doing is you want to be running in the correct power zones. So it's so crucial, especially right now, in the next week or two weeks, that you keep the accurate and valid auto-calculated critical power. Because if you don't, your best efforts are de deteriorate from your depreciate from your uh, your your power duration curve, and then mm -hmm. it's just going to change your entire training. Yeah. It's going to be totally different. Yeah. So. It's not necessarily something to be worried about, but it's something to recognize and then now be able to turn to your advantage to have more, uh, you know, more knowledge about your training. So specifically in the Stride ecosystem as well, you have RSS or running stress score. And then based on that, you have running stress balance. But all of that comes off of your current power output compared to your critical power at that time. So it's very important to keep maintaining this and keep um, you know, this in the forefront of your mind, why it might be important to keep a valid auto CP right now. So um, moving on. Yes. Is it possible? 
For sure, yes, it's totally possible. And we're gonna tell you how, we're gonna give you a couple strategies here. So um, this is, if people are familiar with the stride.com slash power center, this is what a power duration curve looks like. And so this is a actual representation on our platform of that first slide that we started with of the different energy systems, their different contributions here. But you should be able to see a very, very similar likeness here, how the short 10 to 30 second span, you know, is very, very high. You decrease a bit to that 10 to 20 minute, and then you decrease to 50 plus minutes. This is what we look at for the modeling. These are kind of the key numbers to, to remember. Um, Gus, I think, is this your power duration curve or is this somebody else's? Yeah, so this, this actually is my power duration curve. And this is mostly my activities. You can see here that, um, that I, I, this especially applies to me because some of my best efforts are now 76 days old. Mm -hmm. So it's especially crucial for me to follow the tips we're about to give off and, um, and maintain and build my curve. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but this is, yeah, again, a really good visualization just of why it might be important right now to subscribe to some of these tips that we're going to give you here. Um, and again, you can see the similarities between what we illustrate for the model. And if we go back to Gus's power duration curve, we have that very short, high intensity, that medium, longer, steady state intensity, and then the longer aerobic contribution that drops off, but stays pretty darn steady all the way from one hours to, to three hours. Um, and again, keeping this, this slide in mind. So what runs are you missing? The, the best hint that we can give here is to use the model curve option. So if we go back here, um, you know, on stride.com slash power center, you can click on this modeled curve toggle here, and it'll actually illustrate this modeled power curve on top of your data. Um, so what runs are you missing? Let's talk well, first about the, the high intensity, unless you have another point to jump to. Yeah, I do have another point on the what's what runs are you missing. So yeah. we're gonna be presenting on these three types of runs. There's three types of runs, but you don't. You might not necessarily need to change your training now because you might already be doing a longer run or you might already be doing some hill sprints. So you might only be missing one or two types of runs. So, you know, it's important to note that you don't need to fit in all these types of runs if you're already doing them. Just focus on the runs you are missing to maintain your power duration curve. Yes. You do need to apply your knowledge of the data in your power center and apply it to, apply it to your training. It's, it's a feedback loop. You have to... Look at the data, you have to consider what you need to do, then you need to apply it. So Absolutely. don't do all the things we're saying. You must determine what is important for you. Yeah, take them into consideration. The The most important word on this slide is capitalize. It's the capital Y-O-U, you. What runs are you missing? So don't necessarily take um, every single suggestion here without looking at your own data and considering your own performance uh, in the power center. But have the knowledge that we're, uh, we're, we're gonna talk about to be able to consider your own unique situation. So first, the effect of short duration and high intensity runs. Gus, what are the uh, main points that we wanna talk about here of the effect of short duration, high intensity runs? Yeah, so someone's already brought up a very good question. Uh, it's from Dean Wilson, he, he mm -hmm. posts this in the community. So he says, why does my critical power come down if I increase my alactic power when my aerobic performance and power stays the same? Yep. So, you know, some runners think, they think that 
I if I do the high intensity runners, high intensity short duration runs, that's actually going to negatively influence my critical power. So maybe I don't; those aren't so necessary because I know it'll drop my critical power. So it's important to think of this in that over the long term, it's important to increase your critical power. But in the short term, in the immediate, it's important to balance your curves. So these runs are very, very important. Even if you're not, you know, even if you're not doing, you know, 400 meter repeats and that's not your race and you're not doing 5Ks and you're more of a marathon guy, mm-hmm. you still need to show the system what you're capable of alactically. Totally. Totally. Um, the thing that we're, we're going to harp on, uh, starting from here, the, the point that you'll hear is all about balancing your curve. And so what Gus is referring to is, uh, you know, I, I am absolutely aware that there's been people that have posted, you know, in the strike community about this, reached out to support about it, just inquiring about, um, you know, saying, Hey, I had a very good 20 to 30 minute tempo run last week. Then my training schedule called for short Hills this week. Uh, and I, and I did a, a high effort 30 second, uh, you know, it, intensity and my critical power went down. What, what's what's wrong? It, it actually went down. Well, when we look at this, again, we're looking at the balance between the contribution of the different systems here. So if you can imagine, let's say, uh, you know, maybe in a, in a semi-practical example, you only have this much contribution. Let's just call this 450 watts, right, to to give you a number. So this line right here would maybe represent 450 watts. Before, your modeled curve would only cap out to here on this very, very short contribution. But then you go out and you do a really hard 30-second hill, and you push it all the way up to 500 watts. Well, now it changes how the model is shaped and what different contributions are coming from different parts of the model. And that might push your critical power down, but that's a more accurate scope of what you have actually done. So it's actually very important to have high intensity, short duration runs. They are an important contribution, and it is only going to help balance your curve more. Um, Gus, do we have any other points for this part? Yeah, someone asked a very good question that I do want to bring up. So Lauren on the uh, YouTube stream asked, what about pilometric training? How does that factor in jumping, box jumps? So yeah. what what these pilometric training and the, and the box jump is going to do, it's going to increase your elastic capability. And it's still up to you to display that on a sprint or a hill run. So yeah. those things are, are crucial. They're going to help. But you need you need to display that capability in terms of running. Still, you need to all this needs to translate into running capabilities. So all the things you do outside of running, they're necessary. They're great, and it's up to you to show if this is if you got the benefit you should have gotten from those uh, activities. Yeah, and uh, another point to remember here too is you know we've talked to a bunch of experts over the past couple of weeks that have recommended strength training, that have recommended different plyometrics, um, different things to help strengthen your body. And there's a couple different things to keep in mind when it comes to high intensity runs. If you consider yourself a marathoner and you don't consider yourself to be very, you know, fast twitch at all, um, there's kind of two main things to remember. You can give your body the ability to have the strength to output these short duration, high intensity runs, but you also have to be able to facilitate from a 
neuromuscular from an actual like your legs moving that fast and your ability to actually cover that shorter distance uh, in a shorter amount of time. Uh, you have to be able to work on the skill of running fast as well. So just going out and trying to do one 30 second hill is not going to be as beneficial as realizing that you have to have a balance of your correct ability to output this higher power for a short amount of time. You have to actually practice the skill. And we'll talk about a sample training schedule towards the end of this presentation that kind of uh, gives you a guide of how to start incorporating some of this stuff. But actually realizing that you have to work on things from a neuromuscular mechanical perspective that includes plyometrics, box jumps, strength training, uh, and then you actually have to incorporate that into your running. That's something important to remember that you can't just go out and do one and then expect it to be as representative. That would be like you doing one three minute repeat at you know your 5K power and saying, okay, that's good enough. I, I've done that once. Now I don't have to do it again. You have to train that type of system. So that's one other thing that I'd probably recommend for um, people to kind of keep into consideration as well. So. Great. Let's go to the uh, next slide and and just give a few cool. uh, examples yeah. here. Suggestions. So suggested short duration at high intensity. Ideally, 30 seconds is what we'd look for. We talked about how that uh, contribution um, from the you know the alactic side is somewhere between like 10 to 12 seconds. But for practicality, we would probably look for something between 20 to 30 seconds. And we're just saying ideally here. 30 seconds is, is the effort that we're kind of looking for. So um, hill sprints and strides. So uh, hill sprints would be the first one we're going to talk about. And there's actually a good uh, stride power podcast episode on uh, increasing your muscle power and uh, helping you uh, add hill sprints into a schedule. So um, the recommendation uh, that, that we could give is identifying one day every seven to 14 days. Um, so it can be seven days, every 10 days, every 14 days. Um, if you have never done hill sprints in your life, you, you have no idea what to do. I would probably recommend starting on the more conservative side because the idea here is to improve your fitness and not overwork your ability. So when you do uh, try and output that high intensity for a shorter amount of time. You're obviously going to put a different type of stress on your body. And starting with hill sprints is a little bit better than starting with flat strides for a, um, you know, for the goal of a higher speed. When you're running up a hill, you are able to recruit different types of muscles than you are with flat strides because you're having to overcome a hill, overcome an incline. And overcoming a hill means you have less impact on the ground because you're not, uh, you know, just going flat and then uh, trying to cover that distance. Just how, how it works, you have actual less uh, impact when you're doing um, a hill sprint. But hill sprints do let you, uh, you know, produce that power. So it's a good idea to start more conservatively. So how would somebody practically start? I'd say over the next six weeks, uh, if you are starting on the very conservative side, pick one day, uh, let's say, you know, for example, starting next Tuesday, you find a hill that is somewhere between 8 to 10% grade. So if you don't have to, you know, necessarily measure it, 
but find something where you'd look at it and you'd say, man, if I tried to keep my, you know, 5K or 10K effort up that, I would immediately feel like I am working harder to try to maintain the same pace. So it just has to be a reasonable incline where you say, yes, I identify that this is a hill. It doesn't have to be super duper steep, but it should not be, you know, a one or 2% grade that is, um, you know, barely kind of noticeable while you're running. Then I would recommend warming up at least 10 to 15 minutes at a easy intensity with maybe the last minute or two of that easy warm-up, uh, maybe something zone two or closer to your critical power. So just a minute or two at a little bit higher intensity just to warm your body up. Then at the base of your hill, and ideally you'd have something that's flat that goes immediately into the, the grade of the hill. If you don't, it is okay to start in an incline, but ideally you have something that is flat. You'd start at the base of the hill and then you would run up the hill. Ideally, again, this is gonna be somewhere between 10 to 30 seconds. Um, we would recommend that, you know, closer to feed the model about 30 seconds, but it is absolutely okay to start closer to that shorter duration. Um, do a hard but not maximal effort up. So uh, we had Tom Schwartz on the Stride for the Love of Running webinar series recently. He talked about during time trials, you should be able to go at 97%, you should know what it's like to be slightly below maximal effort. And that's what we're looking at for this first one. Um, and then uh, once you finish your 10 to 30 second hill sprint, walk back down. The ego of distance runners is typically, you know, jog everything or, uh, you know, run recovery. That's not what we're looking for here. This is a completely different skill uh, when, when it comes to hill sprints. So walk back down recovery, Make sure you're, you know, you're you're feeling ready, recovered to go. Uh, once you get back down, turn around, take like a two or three second standing rest once you're back down at the bottom of the hill, and then do it one more time. And only do two hill sprints for this first session. Then two weeks later, again, if we're starting on the very conservative side, do the same exact warm-up, but then increase the hill sprints to four. And then two weeks later increase it to six. And now you have a very easy, manageable six-week block where you're focusing on improving the actual power that you're producing from hill sprints, and you're going to contribute more towards this alactic contribution for the energy system or the very left-hand point of your power duration curve. And the one last thing that I remind people is that this is, again, a, a neuromuscular activity, so you actually have to teach your body how to do this at the end of that third session that you've done, at the end of that six weeks, you should feel so much more comfortable than when you had started for the first time. The first time you do hill sprints, if you've never incorporated them before, you are going to feel uncoordinated. It's going to feel awkward. You just have to remember that is a skill that you're practicing. You wouldn't expect to you know, go to a gym after never going to a gym before and then lifting weights with perfect form. You would never expect to step onto a basketball court and shoot 10 free throws in a row without any practice. You would never um, expect to go into another sport that requires a specific skill and be able to master it the very first time you do it. This is something you have to practice. Um, Angus, do you have any other points about hill sprints? Because you yourself have a lot of experience with, uh, with sprinting. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, one one point I want to add on to uh, there are a lot of there are a lot of questions about why why hills versus flats. And yep. you make a great point in saying of the eight to ten 
100% great. And, you know, just consider the word power. What is power? Power is force and velocity, right? So if you run on flat ground, you can only really maximize the velocity. But if you run on an incline, you can balance the force and velocity and maximize that power output. That's why the incline is important. It's because there's a sweet spot where you can hit both your max force and your max velocity and get the power up. Yeah. The the other kind of, uh, not, not risk necessarily, but the thing that you get with flat strides is that it is very easy if you are not practiced at uh, running at a high velocity, li literally that neuromuscular component as well. The chance of injury is just a lot harder trying to run that very, very high intensity on flat ground. So typically you'll you'll see this with professional athletes, you'll see this with collegiate athletes that are at the very top of the level. You won't start immediately into all out 100%, you know, max velocity sprints. That's not the the best way to go about it. We would ideally start again just talking about contributing to the model, you're keeping a accurate critical power. Hill sprints are a better way to go. There's a lot less risk of injury when you're talking about hill sprints. It's something that's going to be a little bit more beneficial just for the factors that we're considering. Um, strides, when we're talking about these, these are, again, those faster bouts of running with recovery in between. Um, people love to define these differently, whether you call them strides, striders, striding. Uh, the, the name doesn't you know really matter as much, but it is that little bit more flat running, a set kind of prescribed either for distance, you know, four to eight times 100 meter strides, walk back recovery or 100 meter jog recovery, or um, maybe you're like my, myself, I do uh, 10 times 20 second strides with 40 seconds jog. As long as I'm getting, you know, uh, higher than 5k power output, I'm totally fine with those. Again, that's just kind of priming that neuromuscular system. So um, strides serve a different component, but they would also be a short duration, high intensity uh, activity that would contribute towards this side of the power duration curve. So um, any other questions that we have for this specific uh, topic? Yeah, well, um, you know, I'm not I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, but Lubos asks, is the trail okay for hill sprints? And yeah, the trail's a great opportunity. Yeah. Um, that might be where you find your best hill. And now we just had another question come in from uh, Patty. Mm -hmm. And are hill sprints about maximum power or highest cadence or both are worthwhile? So, you know, yeah. focus, on, focus on maximum power. Uh, focus on maximum power. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I'd definitely say is if people are curi curious about this, about how, again, to specifically incorporate hill sprints, we have a great podcast episode, um, the Stride Power podcast. I believe it's episode four or five, one of the earlier episodes about um, muscle power and how to generate more muscle power. So um, I would definitely recommend if you're curious about that. The one thing I'd say for a trail is make sure the footing is good. Uh, so if you're on like a rocky trail, um, or it's, you know, has some gravel on it or just loose stone. You want to make sure the footing um, is, is good too because the thing you don't want to do is practice bad mechanics by having that initial very high force, high power first step, have it, you know, kind of slide out underneath you. That would be the thing we, we don't want to happen. So make sure the footing is good. Take practicality into consideration as well um, and, and be safe when adding in these type of supplementary high intensity short duration exercises so so yeah let's move on to the next slide here 
Cool. And Evan yeah. made a great note of this and that you're not going to get this right on the first shot if this is your first time doing hill sprints. So be willing to do it twice. Yeah. Just give yourself that that chance and just say, hey, I'm going to commit to this over you know, uh, a two to eight week block. Um, I just gave that one practical example. Again, the podcast episode talks about another example schedule, but give yourself the chance and say that it's okay that if you've never done hill sprints before, you have to practice them. Again, that reference of you wouldn't go into another sport expecting to be 100%, um, you know, skillful without practicing. So practice hill sprints. So this uh, next one here, the effect of medium duration runs and we have a suggested medium duration run again we're considering this window between 10 to 20 minutes it can be between 15 to 25 minutes 15 to 30 minutes just something in that medium contribution uh our best suggestion right now in terms of practicality motivation uh you know fun is a 5k time trial on moderately hilly terrain such as a virtual race. So Gus, uh, do you want to talk any bit about this suggested medium duration run? Yeah, absolutely. So this is the most important part of the power duration curve and the most important contribution to your auto-calculated critical power. And this is the one that you guys are probably the best at because, you know, everyone, everyone in the strike community's run a, uh, they've all run a 5k before, but not many people run a 5k as a time trial by themselves. Yeah. That's not something that happens very often. If you're skilled at it, that's fantastic. But if you're not skilled on it, then, um, you know, there's there's two very there's two very uh, great things you can do, and that first one is a moderately hilly terrain. We find that people just have a better time. You know, it's just not as boring. If you're doing it on flat terrain, you might not be able to keep that hyper focus. Right. You if might you're going not, to a track or something like that. Yeah. If you you might not just be able to keep that hyper focus at high speed on a flat track, mm -hmm. but if you do on a hilly terrain and you follow the power number. You're working out different muscles. You're having a little fun. It's it's, it's maybe something out of the usual. You might have a better time trial and a better, especially in terms of power. This is not about in terms of time. This is about in terms of power. Yep. That's so important to remember. This is not about how fast you go. It's about how high of a power you can hold for a maximal time over the 5K. So if you do it on moderately hilly terrain, you might have a better chance at making a contribution to that power duration curve. And then the second thing is the virtual race. This is great motivation, mm -hmm. uh, especially during this time period. But probably this is going to go on in the future. I think we're going to see virtual races in the future. And this is a great way to uh, make a really great contribution to your power duration curve when you have that extra bit of external motivation pushing you during this uh, during a run like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I want to touch on one uh, kind of recent event that uh, we saw specifically with, you know, the stride community, um, like we previously mentioned, uh, Steve Palladino of the Palladino Power Project. Uh, in his group, they organized a weekend for people that, you know, maybe had a race on the schedule uh, or were looking for something to do. They organized a virtual 5K. And they, I, I, I saw so many posts. I, I literally can't tell you how many posts, dozens of posts of people having success, people actually running it. Again, we, we said um, for this, the thing we're looking for is a uh, personal best power. But in this specific example, 
I, I saw so many posts of people saying like, wow, I didn't know I was in PR 5K shape, but I ran a PR by myself. I could never have imagined this, but they had a ton of fun. Um, and this is just a way to embrace the unique situation uh, that, that we find ourselves in now. But a 5K time trial on moderately hilly terrain as part of a virtual race is a great, great idea. Again, as long as you are respecting the recommendations of your local government and the suggestions of, um, you know, if you are able to be outside, uh, it, it's a great thing to do. If you find yourselves relegated to being indoors, you can absolutely still do something like this, um, but you have to take your unique situation into effect. Uh, the one thing that uh, we, we might recommend, again, here is finding a, a a power target. Gus, what what would you say maybe for somebody? What would be one tip you'd have for finding a power target to shoot for to maintain that critical power that they currently have in their profile? Yeah, and, and before be, I I do want to answer that question, and I think this ties into it perfectly. From uh, we had a question from Freak, and Freak is a very good member of the Strike community, and uh, he asked on the YouTube stream. So he he must also watch our Tom Schwartz uh, Tom Schwartz ten man episode because he says is a time trial at one hundred percent or is it at the famous ninety seven percent that uh, Coach Ten Man advocated for? It? Sure, sure, sure. So what what's your thought on that? Then I'll answer your question. Yeah, um, I think that if we are talking about just going out and uh, trying to gauge an effort, then without um, reflecting on your own modeling in your power duration curve, then yes, saying I'm going to go just a little bit submaximal, I'm going to run completely by effort, that's okay. But if your goal is to hit a certain power number to maintain your auto CP, that could actually be submaximal as well. What I'd recommend is looking between uh, your 10 to 20 minutes uh, range. So let's actually go back here to um, Gus's, uh, you know, power duration curve here, the, the example here. So we're, we're looking between this 10 to 20 minute range here. We settle on, okay, 1435. Gus, are you in 1435 5k shape right now? <laughs> maybe maybe a, a little bit uh, off of that, but we can see that this line here is pretty darn flat. So let's maybe extrapolate out that, uh, we'd want to target for 20 minutes, we'd probably say 310. And it doesn't even have to be a 5K time trial. This is this the most practical recommendation that we can give. You could look at this spot on your power duration curve, and then you have to select the auto CP model curve for Gus. The auto CP model is probably going to be right about here. So it's going to touch right at that about, let's just say 310. For Gus, he would say, I am going to try and run at... 312 watts on average for 20 minutes. And that is your goal. That is a way to target your specific critical power, your specific modeled power curve, and have a ability to test your, your actual output that you have done, and then reinforce your actual fitness on, on the stride ecosystem here. So that would just be a practical example. You don't even have to do it by a set distance. We just find that giving a set distance is more practical. Um, but for Gus, it would be, okay, let's go and try and run 312 watts for 20 minutes, and then we're going to boost 
that part of the curve slightly. Again, we have to look at this modeled curve option being toggled on. So let's say Gus's model curve was actually like right up here. It was like 320 because the model knows he can do this point, but it also knows based on some of these other points, like his specific contribution from some of the short distance and the long distance. Let's say if the model thought he could do 315, he would have to target 316 then for his 20 minute power. So that's a practical example of using the power duration curve to come up with a idea of what you have to target based off your modeled ability for a specific time trial uh, like this. So um, if you are looking at the only effort-based, yes, I'd say 97%, the recommendation that we got from Tom Tinman Schwartz uh, is absolutely, absolutely valid. But if you are looking to best or meet the point on your power duration curve, then using that strategy that I just showed you would probably be the best way to come up with something that we know you can do, you know you can do, and you know you might be able to do slightly better than. So that would be my suggestion there. Yeah, I think, I think I'd have a very similar suggestion. I would also incorporate uh, one of two other tools, and that's the power calculator inside the Stride mobile app, which is very yep. straightforward. The other option, if you're more advanced and you really know what you're doing, you should load up the Stride community, go into the files section and use the superpower calculator. Yep. And then, uh, you know, it's the question of maintaining or building. If you're, if you're maintaining, then you can use your existing model curve. If you're building, you want to see if you can best that, but um, yeah, yeah I, I basically agree with your suggestion, Evan. That's probably the primary way you want to do it. Yeah, we had um, we had Coach Steve Paladino sound off in the comment section on the note about the uh, about the virtual race. He had he sure. said fifty percent of the runners had personal records and ten wow. percent ran on the treadmills. So, wow, yeah, Coach Paladino doing a great service for uh, runners by encouraging them to get out there and. Uh, you know, have a good, have a good effort. Yeah. And the, the, the main point, the reason I wanted to bring that up, we, we were going over this presentation the other day and we, I, I made a note about that because the important thing to remember here is that we're all a big community of runners, right? If somebody's tuning into this, they probably are very interested in running, but we want to give some specific examples of other people going about these types of activities to let you know that it is possible. It is absolutely possible right now to set a personal best at 5K when you would have given up hope and because you were training for the marathon, you never would have thought that you're in peak 5K fitness right now. Well, Steve Palladino, uh, Coach Palladino just showed us, yes, there are so many people that were able to um, you know, achieve PBs, uh, still take advantage of their situation of being inside on the treadmill, uh, you know, being outside. So absolutely, if this is something that now pumps you up, please, please, please. Um, take this into consideration for something that you uh, you, you might want to do over the next coming weeks. Do we have any other uh, points we want to cover here? Yeah, so just a clarifying point. Frank Terborg on YouTube has 97% uh, of critical power. So he's referring to the, uh, the Tom Schwartz tip again. Yeah. So Evan clarified this and he said that if you're running based on effort and you don't necessarily have a power target or if you're just getting started with stride, target 97% of your max effort if you have a power target, it's better to go based on the numbers. Yep. Um, numbers. And again, that 97%, that's not a thing that we can necessarily uh, tell you exactly how that feels. Just for an individual, what you're looking for, and, and we would recommend looking at the Tom Schwartz webinar because he had give a lot of great points on top of that as well. But you know what 100% feels like. 
And you also should be able to know what slightly under that feels like. And that is the effort that we're going for. So um, cool. OK, uh, ready to move on to the next portion? Yeah, well, we have the one tip. So let's let's yes. go to the next slide. So uh, yes, we, kilometer by kilometer pacing. Yes. Yeah. So this is a very good tip. This came from uh, this came from Coach Tom Schwartz, where if you're not used to time trialing, he outlaid a very simple kilometer by kilometer pacing strategy. And Evan, I'd like to have you describe this pacing strategy. Yeah, um, I believe we do have a, a YouTube clip of it as well. So um, if you're curious after this presentation, uh, if you just go to the videos on the Stride channel, um, there should be a video there. Uh, Coach Schwartz giving uh, an example of how to pace a time trial. But let's say a runner is aiming for a 5K with a average power of 300 watts. This runner would target between 292 to 295 watts for the first kilometer. Then by the second and third kilometer, they'd ease their way up to 300 watts. And then maybe they sustain that for kilometers two, three, and four. And then by the last kilometer, they're able to run 305 to 307, and then they end with an average of just say 301. So now they bested their uh, their their goal power by 0.3%, and they were able to finish feeling well. The goal with a time trial like this is to not have the opposite effect. So imagine the effect we want is starting slightly below goal power running at goal power for that middle to end portion of the race, and then finishing above that goal power. The, the thing you don't want to do is start off at 310 or 315, go down to 304, 300, 297, and then 290 for your last kilometer. That is not what we want to do. We want to pace smart. We want to pace intelligently, and we want to set you up the best that you possibly can be set up for your optimum performance. And so starting out a little bit conservatively, working up to your goal power and then finishing slightly above that gives you the ability to be confident in your performance and then finish feeling good because that's a huge part as well is if you feel good mentally, you're gonna be much, much more likely to try and repeat this maybe two to three weeks from now uh, and then have an idea of how you can even improve a little bit more off of that. So smart kilometer by kilometer pacing, that would be our recommendation. If you, the, the reason we're giving kilometers for, uh, you know, people in the U.S. that might have their watches set to auto split every mile, you just get a little bit more feedback if you have five data points compared to three data points that you might have. Um, the methodology would still probably be the same if you have your watch set to split in miles. So if you... Uh, you know, set it to split every mile, you want to start still slightly, slightly below your goal power for that first mile, be at your goal power for that second mile, and then be just above that for the end mile and let you set yourself up the most for success. But our example is just a very easy way to break up the sections into, you know, piece by piece. The same methodology applies there, but that's smart kilometer by kilometer pacing for a practical uh, 5k time trial. And uh, th that was very good. I just have one point to add on. Um, mm -hmm. I mentioned the superpower calculator earlier. We, we've put that in the comments. And just cool. to know, this, is, this is a community-sourced document. And it really speaks to how important the strike community is. Without the strike community, uh, a lot of just a lot of things wouldn't be possible. They just wouldn't yeah. be possible. So that was a very great community source project from the Steves. Um, 
you know, I, I know Steve Paladino contributed. We had Steve, Steve Bateman, Alex Tran, I think. And a lot of other folks that we probably that probably made great contributions. We don't even know who they are, but those three I know had great uh, great contributions to that. Yeah, I uh, I have it favorited in one of my uh, bookmark tabs. So um, it's a it's a great tool, very very great tool, I think. Um, all right, anything else for this medium duration? Yeah, I think this is the one people are the best at. So I think we've given some helpful tips. So let's move yeah. on to the next one. Cool. So the effect of long duration runs. Suggested long duration runs, and we're talking about 50 plus minutes. So long duration <clears throat> can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. If you are a experienced marathoner into ultra marathons, you might say 50 plus minutes, that's not long duration. I consider long duration, you know, four plus hours, um, or I consider long duration a certain amount of mileage. Uh, just for practical purposes, what we're talking about here for the model is 50 plus minutes. And what we're looking at to support the model is something that's a little bit higher intensity than just your easy. So we're going to talk about zone two and for 50 plus minutes. So something that is longer than 50 plus minutes at a slightly higher than easy intensity. And this is something that's important, again, to support the rest of that curve, the rest of that model. It is not going to be the primary driver. So if you do a high zone two long run and you say, why did my critical power not go up? This is not going to be the thing that changes the balance of the curve as much. It's just going to be the thing that supports the rest of the model there. So this is, again, a thing that is important to keep in your training rotation. But in terms of the modeling, it is something that supports and does not primarily drive the critical power number. Do you have any other comments on that, Gus? Yeah, yeah, you, you hit on this is necessary to do, but if you don't get this one exactly right, if you don't feel like you, you nailed it, if you don't feel like you held to the zone perfectly, that's fine. Yeah. This is not the, this does not have a massive, massive effect. It's just important that you do the run. It's not important that you say, oh, I'm concerned. I went a little too hard. I went a little too easy. If you got it close enough, it's going to be good enough. Yeah, and this is, Everything we're talking about here is, again, relative to that model. Doing longer duration runs at an easy to slightly higher than easy intensity is an important thing for training. You can't expect to have success at a 10K, half marathon, marathon, if you're only doing 5K time trials every other week with hill sprints. So this is a thing that has to support and be the backbone for the rest of your training. And some of the other webinar series, you might have heard us talk about building that foundation and building that, that house that you build everything else upon, this is going to be um, that foundation that you have to keep keep in there. And any uh, well-rounded training plan will include something like this. So um, any other points for the suggested long duration run? Yeah, what, one point we had talked about, Evan, was the, the point of RSS. So, yeah. you know, if, if let's say, let's say, you know, some people have more time during this time period. Some people have less time. Sure. So if you can't do a certain mileage or a certain duration, after you, after you establish the accurate auto-calculated critical power, if you can't hit a certain duration or a certain distance, you can focus on their RSS. Now, I'm not saying you need to run on zone three and zone four and get your RSS way up and then just quit the activity. But let's say if you're told to do a 90-minute zone one log run and that's 100 RSS points, but you only have 50 minutes and you do that at high zone two, you might still be able to, um, you know, get 50 RSS points. Yeah. Right. So, you know, 
after, it, this is why the auto calculated critical power is so important again. I just want to make that point again. If you do that, then your RSS points are right. Then you can base your training based on RSS instead of distance or duration. And I, I would even say, um, you know, for, for right now, if RSS is not a thing that you would find to be actionable, it's a, it's a, a number that you might be able to look at. And let's say you're working from home and you're working long hours right now and you can't get out the door for more than 60 minutes. Normally, you might have a 75 to 90 minute uh, long run that's at a very, very easy effort. And the RSS, you know, like Gus gave a couple examples, let's just say for this specific example, the RSS is 70, right? Um, you still want to be able to, once our unique situation that we're in right now, is is you know over and, and tailing down and you're able to get out the door for more time you still want to be able to prime your body in a way that it's not a huge shock to the system that now you're running these um, you know longer intensities that you haven't been doing doing something slightly shorter at a slightly higher power output so this high zone two this would be getting your body closer to that type of stress. So we're not necessarily advocating for planning your whole training around RSS points, but this is something just to keep in mind that it's okay right now to be able to make these adjustments and that RSS might be something that you can look at for the you know substitution and the practicality of your own situation that you can't get out the door for 75 to 90 minutes. Running 50 to 60 minutes is a slightly higher power output than that would be an okay substitute right now just to keep your body used to that kind of stress. So I think that's, yeah, that's a great point. But again, that RSS relies on your critical power being as accurate as possible to give you the most accurate information um, as possible right now. So yeah, I think that's a, a great point and something that um, a lot of people might not be aware that they they, they could look at, but it, it could be something to maybe factor in and maybe keep in a little bit more on the forefront of your mind. So uh, we've got a great question here from Tom, and Tom's trying to kill two birds with one stone here. He says, if I run a short hill, a 10 to 20 second hill, and then I do 50 plus minutes of training, is that enough to start calculating my critical power? And, um, you know, Tom, so stride is extremely smart. If you start combining high intensity activities with low intensity activities, stride's going to pick out those it's going to pick out those high intensity activities and separate them. Yeah. And it's going to put that in your power duration curve separately. So it's fine. Uh, you know, you could do something like this. I mean, if you, if you, you know, do some hill sprints, then you just do very light, easy running, you could do something like that. And that would be a perfect uh, contribution to the curve. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do want to plug one, one more time uh, as we get towards the end of this, that if people have any questions, we are going to tackle the uh, remaining uh, listener questions at, at the end of this. So uh, if anybody has questions, please feel free to keep dropping them in the chat. We're getting them passed along to ourselves and Gus is uh, reading, reading them as well. And if they're appropriate to interject in the current topic, we're talking about them. But if anybody has any other general questions, we'll definitely take them at the end. Um, one tip here, and I think this is a great thing, and I can talk about this from something that I've actually been doing, uh, is find a new route. So now if you find yourself with you know, a, a 50 to 70 minute run, um, again, that, that supporting effort on the modeled curve, find somewhere new to run. You don't have to necessarily just do your 25 minutes out, 25 minutes back. You don't have to do your 70 minute loop. I have been, uh, you know, exploring around my neighborhood um, because I still have the privilege and the freedom to be going outside right now, which I'm very uh, fortunate. 
uh, and, and lucky to recognize that. But uh, I found a new trail that I had no idea existed. And I've, I've been running that uh, and it's devoid of a lot of people. So staying safe there, but being able to enjoy the um, you know circumstance of being able to find a new route. So I uh, guess do you have any other input on that one tip? Cause this was a great tip that you put in here. Yeah, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, we had Dr. Josh M. Durer on the other day and he said the most important thing, you know, you, you should balance your training so you're not overstressing yourself, you're not overly affecting your immune system. But he said really the best thing you can do is just limit your exposure. Yeah. So if the trail's too packed, just find a new route and you might have fun, you might discover something. And exactly as Evan said, it might be yeah. a very good time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Three things to remember. Number one, if you can't build, maintain, Gus, if you can't build, maintain, why? Yeah, you know, so, you know, it might not be in everyone's interest right now to keep building their fitness. Um, it might just be good to solidify that base. And that was something, um, another point Dr. Josh M. Durham made. It takes years to really build a steady, firm base. Yep. So if you're tired of building, tired of racing, just, just maintain the power duration curve. Maintain your critical power. Do the basics. And... Don't let your critical power drop so it affects your zones. If you're that fit, just maintain that fitness. And that could be one of the best and healthiest choices you can uh, you can make. Just maintain the power duration curve and just tap that model curve button. Look at the values, match those values, maybe exceed them slightly, but you don't need to run wild. You really don't need to run wild. Yeah, absolutely agreed. Uh, so this is, again, yeah, the thing you were just talking about. Look at the modeled curve toggle on the auto CP model curve, see where you need to maintain. That's something that's fun and it's something that you can act upon, which is going to make you happier in the long run. It's going to um, give you, you know, kind of that short term to midterm goals to, to keep focusing on. And one point I want to make on that curve. So if, if, if we were on the actual page and you were to tap that button, you'd actually see my model curve is underneath my best efforts and that mm. happens that happens when my fitness is depreciating mm. so that shows that it's going to be especially important for me to maintain those efforts so my model curve does not fall underneath my uh, fall underneath my, my past efforts right. so that's another quick tip awesome um number two take two weeks to fill your profile in so don't rush and do all these at the same time like you just answered the question is it totally okay to bundle those shorter efforts, maybe that little bit higher than low intensity, medium length effort or medium to long length effort. Yes. But realize that it's okay to take some time and fill things in. You don't necessarily read, um, you know, if, if you're in school, you don't read the whole textbook, the, you know, the first day you get it, you space things out because you have to take time to absorb some of the uh, information. In this case, the information is your fitness that you're able to produce. So Number two, take two weeks to fill your profile in. And I think we have a specific uh, sample schedule here. So this is something, this is not saying you should do this exact schedule. This is just how one might be able to, uh, you know, enact this. So uh, let's say you run, uh, you know, three days a week, then we might do hills on Tuesday, uh, some medium short length repeats closer to critical power on Friday. Sunday would be 50 minutes moderate. Then on Tuesday, we'd come back with eight times 20 seconds flat. Again, we're looking at hill sprints and flat. We're doing a mixture between them. We have that 5K time trial with ramp pacing every kilometer. 
Then you have a 70 minute easy leisurely run. If you run seven days a week, you have a recovery day on each of these days in between. But this is a very easy sample schedule of how to incorporate all the stuff that we've talked about. And then what would you do after these two weeks? Then let's say you take two weeks to specifically train. You might have actually a new critical power. So then two weeks after that, you take a couple of days recovery. Then you might do, you know, a little bit longer extended threshold at 88 to 92 percent of your uh, critical power that's newly calculated. Then you'd, um, you know, maybe do strides or you know the, another 80 times 20 second flat strides on Friday, and then you do another 50 minutes moderate, and then you'd come back and you do, you know, kind of that inverse. You do another set of hills, you do another set of uh, some longer intervals, do 70 minutes easy. Then the next week you can do another 5K time trial if you want. So this is a very easy practical sample schedule about all the things we've talked about you don't have to cram everything in in a, a week span but this would be a very easy to act upon two-week schedule do you have any feedback on this Gus? yeah so we we have a very good question from guy in the uh, facebook community and guy is a uh you know he's a long-term supporter he's from israel he's he's one of our best supporters in israel and he says is there an advantage to doing a critical power test by protocol like a three 10 minute test and we were going to put that as a recommendation. Um, the reason we didn't add that as a recommendation is that's very stressful. And if you're trying to avoid uh, excessive stress during this time period, I'd say you're going to have an easier time doing the uh, 5K time trial versus the uh, the three 10 minute test. So that's fine to do if you can handle it. Totally. We, just, we didn't add that as a recommendation due to the acute stress involved with a test like that. But it's it's valid. Totally valid. Um, and again, this you you could tweak every single day of a sample schedule like this. Everything that we're talking about is just uh, we're deciding to talk on one talking point today. Um, yeah, but keeping in mind that you do have the option to be flexible, this is just something we're recommending because it's pretty easy to understand. We we'd like to think. So, um, all right, ready for the next one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just looking. At, we've got a lot of we've got a lot of great questions. So I can't. Sure these after this last point yeah and then number three balance the curve uh yeah just uh focus on having a equal amount of um you know distribution like we just talked about the sample schedule we're looking for balance these are things we'd like to think um balance the curve but number three balance that's what we're looking for uh any other points on this one yeah, show, like I said at the beginning, show the curve what you're capable of. Show the show stride what you're capable of. So it's so yeah. important to do a balanced training across all three different durations. So, yeah, let's get to some of these questions here. Sure. Um, there have been quite a few that have trickled in. Yeah, so if you want to uh, go ahead and serve them up, um, then, yeah, we can totally tackle them. Yeah, so one that came really early on that I want to get to because I know that um, – I know that uh, – the question has been waiting in the wings here. It's basically on the discussion of run walk, run walk strategy. So I'm gonna find this one here. This is from Chris, oh. I think. Chris Classic. Yeah, can you please address how run walk program affects the auto calculated critical power? Yeah. Um, do, do you want to tackle that or do you want me to address it? I totally can. Yeah, so you know, I, I have done some uh, I have done some research into RunWalk, and I'm not the RunWalk expert, but I can I can speak on it a little. So, um, RunWalk is actually a very high performing strategy. RunWalkers can can go easily under sub three hours in the marathon. I think the best RunWalk uh, marathon is somewhere in the in the two hour range, mid two hour range. It's very yeah. fast, and uh, 
you know, I also know that beginners will use the run walk and they might be finishing in four hours. So you have a very wide duration. You have a very wide range. It's a very diverse topic. So it's hard to address the run walk specifically. And uh, one thing to be, one thing to note here, it depends on the uh, walking intervals. If, if you're going to have a, let's say do the 5k time trial and your walking intervals are very long. If they're very, very long, uh, you know, that's going to bring, that's going to bring the result from that test downwards. But let's say you do the 5k time trial and your walking intervals are shorter. Uh, you might find that you can get higher powers. So you really have to balance. It, it kind of goes back to that, that point where we're making the hill sprints It's about, it's about power. So, Mm-hmm. You know, how much do you want to rest versus how much do you want to output? And you yeah. need to optimize that for yourself. It's a, it's a very personal thing to run walk because it's not a, a steady state strategy. You have to determine how how long you're walking, what intensity you're walking, how long you're running, what intensity you're running. So it's it's hard to address this in a, um, in a general, even in an acute manner, because it's going to be so specific to you. You can have great success, but you really have to play with the numbers and really understand. There's some great books out there, and a lot of the... Um, a lot of the power concepts can be directly applied to what those books are talking about. If you have the Jeff Galloway book on run walk, you can apply the power concepts to the paces and the values that he's giving out in those books. You just mm-hmm. need to change it to be personally used. So I recommend, you know, starting with a Jeff Galloway book because it is going to require some, some personal experimentation. Yeah, totally. The uh, other point that I'd make is that it's relative to like you mentioned, the structure of your running run walk. So if you're running for two minutes and then you walk for one minute, uh, or if you change it to you're running for eight minutes and you change it to walking for 30 seconds, you're going to have a different consideration for the model auto CP. So if you keep all conditions the same and you do minute run, minute walk all the time, then your numbers are going to be consistent across those steady state efforts. But if you are changing it for one day, you do, you know, two minutes run, one minute walk, and then it's five minutes run, one minute walk, the numbers will change just on how the power is averaged over that specific duration. So if you are trying to keep things as consistent as possible, keeping your uh, variables that are changing uh, as little change between those as possible will give you the most uh, information i think right now in, in the system what uh, what question do you want to jump to Evan? What, what... yeah uh so so again if anybody has uh, questions please feel free to send them in uh we're gonna uh, address these and then uh wrap up after that um <clears throat> so early on uh megan robinson asked what happens to CP when you taper for races and take one to two weeks off? Does it restart from where you left off? So if you taper for a race and you take one to two weeks off, uh, so I assume this is like a two-week taper, and then you take another one to two weeks off, that's 30 days past. Um, it'll still take the up to those 90 days into consideration, just the uh, weight that they have towards your current number depreciates over time. So it's not like you suddenly lost all your fitness after taking two weeks off of a race um, and, and tapering. We, we know that, it's just they have a little bit less contribution to the current auto CP number that you see. So it doesn't have to restart Um, because we know that your fitness doesn't restart from zero. You don't have a critical power of zero just because you took two weeks off. Um, But the the model will incorporate how much of that depreciated value that you have. 
So that, that's how I'd answer that one. Um, <clears throat> I'm looking at uh, the other questions that have trickled in here. Uh, I have a marathon in September. Do you advise hill sprints or hill repeats early in my training or during the last 16 weeks of training? Um, why not now and why not then as well? Why not, why not both? Uh, if you've never done them before, I think they're a huge benefit to uh, you know, making sure that you're a well-rounded athlete, just like we talked about balancing the curve. Why not start incorporating it now and learn the neuromuscular skill and then building up your muscle power over time as you get better at that skill will support the rest of your modeled curve there and give you the most accurate uh, glimpse into your fitness that you possibly can have. So if you have a marathon in September, I would really recommend, again, listening to that Stride Power podcast episode on adding in hill sprints um, just so you can see a practical way to <clears throat> add them in and keeping them in your regular rotation. I think they're a great, great tool to have. Yeah, so this is something that we had uh, we had coach and uh, elite personal trainer Kevin Purvis on, and he was saying, if you haven't been doing them, don't add them in late in your program because that's just going to screw you up. So don't think a few weeks out like, oh, I forgot my hill sprints. I need to add them in. That's probably not the best idea. You, If you're doing them, keep doing them because you also need to maintain those skills you built up. Kevin was yes. saying a lot of runners do strength training early in the season, but by the time the races come around, the fitness is gone. They didn't do it in the midseason. So it is important to do it from the start of the season and maintain that all the way up until the until the taper, until the race, in order to totally. build that skill and maintain it. Totally. Um, Patty asks, uh, how much rest between hill sprints in order to recover? Um, a full walk down. Just don't be afraid to take more recovery than you need. Uh, uh, more recovery than you think you need initially. Um, if you do your first ever hill sprint, you you know you run at a very high intensity. Again, not completely maximal, and you do that for ten to thirty seconds, and then you jog back down and try and start again. You're going to feel very quickly that you took way 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 too little rest. Um, so that might be an okay thing to show you that you need more rest, but we'd probably recommend from the beginning uh, just walk back down, be okay to take another 10 or 15 seconds at the bottom. Uh, we're not trying to delve into the specifics about how much um, percentage of your creatine phosphate reserves, uh, you know, start to uh, refill at that point, uh, how much percentage, you know, you, you drop off over the course of adding in that intensity. Just take a full walk recovery and then start again. Uh, just make sure you're fresh enough to start for the next repeat is what I'd say for that. Evan, um, I'm going to address uh, Chris Klessig's question here. So yeah. regarding the run-walk, you if you have higher power for the short run segment, so let's say you're running for 300 watts for one minute, yep. and then you're walking for you know 120 watts for 30 seconds. And Chris asks, is that used to calculate the shorter duration towards a curve, or is the long run average over the run-walk segments used to get an average power? And the question is, it's used for both. Yes, used for both. So imagine, imagine, try to look at every single second. So it's going to look at one second and say, what's the maximum power you maintain for one second during this run? Then it's going to look at two seconds and all the way on to, let's extend this to 10 seconds, then 30 seconds, then all the way up to 50, 90 minutes. Yep. Uh, so it's going to consider the average power during every single segment. And that's why the power duration curve is so fantastic because it's able to break apart any run and find the max effort yep. apart of any run. Yep. Totally. Um, question here from Leo. 
Can we fill the left side of the model by setting a high incline in the treadmill at a fast pace if you are indoors? Uh, yes, you absolutely can. Uh, you should right now use the Stride mobile app to set the incline um, and be cautious of any sort of behavior that you might use on the treadmill. We're not advocating necessarily for following a specific thing, but if you are uh, doing this indoors, the way to do it, yes, would be set a high incline at a faster speed uh, and do that. You can absolutely do that as long as it is exceeding the power output for the left side. If you're, if the point is again to bump up that model, you have to identify where your modeled curve is at right now and then exceed that uh, or meet it um, to, to, to supplement and, and keep that uh, modeled point steady. So that was what I would say for that. I want to say thank you to both uh, Chris and Cynthia for clarifying that Galloway now recommends that the walk sections are, are, are no longer than 30 seconds. So that does mm. simplify things. It's going to be a lot easier totally. to apply the, uh, apply the power if the, uh, if the rest segments are uh, set. So, yeah, thanks for clarifying that, uh, awesome. folks. Uh, we have a triathlon question here from Jeffrey Taylor. Sample schedule for triathletes. Uh, do not have a sample schedule for triathletes necessarily on that sample two-week schedule. Um, I would say that things can be very, very similar in this time right now, especially uh, if you haven't listened to the uh, the second webinar we did with Coach Bobby McGee. Um, he talked about uh, training specifically for triathletes right now during the summer. I think he gives a great overview of um, some of the things to focus on right now and how you might sub out different exercises and how you might uh, take into considerations for a swim bike run right now. Uh, I'm going to take a question from Ali here. Uh, why would you recommend to do 50 plus minute run at high zone two instead of max effort? What is the rationale behind this? Are we not looking for max effort? And Evan, do you want to answer that one? Yeah. Um, for right now, just in this like practicality of a training schedule, it's going to be pretty difficult to do hill repeats on a Tuesday to 20 minutes of effort around critical power on Friday, and then do 50 minutes max effort on Sunday, and then come back on Tuesday, do eight times 20 second hills or eight, eight times 20 second flat, do a 5k time trial on Friday, and then do a 70 minute easy run on, on that next Sunday. That's going to be pretty difficult. So this uh, sample schedule, again, was meant to, uh, give you a focus around that 5k time trial the you know 15 to 25 up to 30 minute medium length effort that we're looking for that window and that is going to be the primary driver of uh just what we think is practical right now if you do a 50 minute all-out effort um and that fits your training situation that's still totally a fine thing to do but we would recommend right now it's probably more practical in this situation to focus around that 15 to 25, um, up to 30 minute higher, higher effort right now, uh, just, just for how this sample training schedule is generated. So one point, I also want to note that a max effort is not completely necessary. It's not completely necessary to do sure. that. We just need to see an aerobic contribution. We don't need to see full aerobic under like critical power um, capability. You know, uh, one of the, one of the, um, you know, one of the funny things is that you know theoretically you can run under critical power forever, but of course that's not really that's not really possible. We're not looking for that kind of effort. We just need an aerobic contribution. Yep. We don't need a full aerobic display. Yep. 
Yeah, no, that great, great question as well, though, because I click, yeah, clarifying that we're talking about a specific training schedule, specific practical thing that's accomplishable for most people. Um, for me right now, uh, my heart starts pounding at 180 beats per minute if I think about having to do a 50 minute all out effort right now. Uh, but the the idea of a 15 to 25 minute effort makes it you know only drop uh, a, a little bit. It makes me feel a little bit less nervous. But uh, yeah, great great question as well. <clears throat> Any other uh, questions that have trickled in here, Gus? You know, so there was a good one from um, a very interesting question from Alex. And Alex was asking, my plan is having me do cruise intervals and speed work after eight to 10 miles of, of probably long run effort. And he's saying, does stride take that into account? And specifically, he's asking, do I get more credit for hitting those power levels after running six to 80 minutes? And the answer is, you're going to get credit for it, but you're not going to get more credit for it. Yep. If you want full credit for it, you have to, you have to display that in the context of a, um, inside of a fresh, inside of a fresh effort, because um, you know, that, that once again, it, it goes back to the idea, you have to show the curve what you're capable of. You have to show the system what you're capable of. And we, we, we can't quite get that full sense of your capability if you do it when you're already fatigued. You want to do it at full effort. We want to see those energy systems. Yep. I, I think it's a super interesting and very valid question, though. Um, it's something I'm interested in myself is, uh, you know, kind of investigating that side of what what kind of changes if you do a long long warm up uh, before doing some of those intervals and stuff uh, right now in the system no uh, but it is definitely a very interesting thought and interesting question i think so ali's got another fantastic question here where uh, ali asks will stride take into account the heart rate in association with a watch or a chest monitor in the future to make the algorithm better so i want to i want to address this one um you know, so there's there's two schools of thought. One school of thought is that stride has made heart rate irrelevant. That heart rate just isn't useful anymore. You can throw your heart rate monitors away. That's one school of thought. The second the second school of thought is that heart rate and power can be very complementary. And you know, there's arguments for and against each one. I mean, clearly the truth is somewhere in between of that. They they can definitely work together. Uh, the thing with heart rate, it's going to be so personal to you, to you, and it's going to be so personal to the situation, circumstances you're in. So we don't have, we don't have the context on caffeine intake, sleep level, all the external factors that affect heart rate. To use heart rate as part of the calculation, you have that, but we don't. So it's important for you to consider all these external factors uh, when you're analyzing your heart rate and running power together, and make the most use out of those metrics. And people can make them. People can use the metrics together. I've seen plenty of people use, um, you know, power. HRV stuff, power, yeah. I've also seen people that just say, I, I just don't need it. I just don't need it. But, uh, you know, algorithmically, that's not something we can do in a, in, a, in a structured and fantastic manner right now. But that's something that you can do, and that's something that you can still get great, uh, great insight out of. Mm -hmm. The other point that I'd want to add in there is just um, – we feel confident when we're collecting the data that we know the reliability of. But if there's a external source of data, um, specifically in heart rate, whether it's coming from an optical monitor, a chest strap, um, or you know, yeah, depending on if the connection is good or if your you know your watch heart rate optical monitor is cadence locking or it's broken, 
uh, it disconnects for a second, we we don't know. Um, so that's the other you know point why we we don't do that right now is that the reliability um, is is not necessarily there for us right now just because we're not the ones facilitating the collection of that information. So that's how I would answer that one as well. Do we have uh, any other questions? Yeah, so I think we've covered just about everything, either indirectly via the presentation or directly via this via this question answer section. I think we've covered everything. We've been going for nearly uh, you know eighty minutes now, so this is really a almost the longest one yet. Absolutely, and we still have a lot of people watching. So uh, yeah, you know, thank um, you for sticking with us to the end, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks to everybody that watches these. Uh, like we mentioned at the top of the show, if you didn't tune in for that, we will. Um, going forward, be making, uh, I, I assume it's once per week now, a type of um, presentation like this where we'll talk about a specific sort of, uh, you know, stride thing uh, and we'll give more of a platform for general questions and answers as well. Um, so please keep that in mind as you're watching the For the Love of Running series. This is something we are absolutely going to be continuing. It's a great spark to start it right now as we recognize that the situation is very unique, but it's something we'd like to keep doing and, and rolling forward for sure. Um, but definitely be aware that we are going to continue this style uh, going going forward weekly now where we'll reserve one of the days, um, you know, because we want to keep the quality of experts that we have. We don't necessarily want to have to jam pack everybody and give you uh, you know, a reason to miss somebody that could have given you um, some great advice for your situation. We want to kind of spread those out a little bit more, but then also uh, facilitate the collection of some of these great questions that people have too. So um, yeah, we'll be looking forward to keeping up this style as well. And we really appreciate the interaction The like Gus mentioned, the, um, you know, the success of, you know, at least this series so far and a lot of the other stuff that we've been doing uh, really does depend on the community that follows us. So it's been great to have all the ton of interaction and uh, just the support of everybody. So we're really, really excited to keep this stuff rolling, I think. I've got a few more points. So sure. let's say um, let's say that you're not a Strider and you stumbled upon the uh, the webinar series and you've been enjoying. You can head to uh, store.stride.com and purchase the Stride Pod. And we have these in stock globally right now. So whether in Europe, the U.S., uh, worldwide, this is an order that we can get shipped out uh, very quickly if you are interested in starting to run with power. And um, and uh, I do have one more question from Helder sure. here. Helder, Helder's a great supporter of ours. Uh, I've seen Helder a lot of times at a lot of marathon expos. He's mm -hmm. a fantastic supporter. And Helder asks... Uh, Hill repeats on the treadmill. So 400 meter hill repeats at 6% versus 1.5%. How will that help the power curve? And the point I want to make here is it's about optimizing. You want to optimize your power output. So if you can maintain a higher power output at that incline at a given speed, you, uh, you want to go for that. Like there's going to be an optimization point. Like if you're running on flat ground, um, you're probably not going to be able to reach your max power output, but if you run on a slight incline, you're going to have a better chance of reaching that max power output due to the force-velocity relationship. Yep. So you have to pick the uh, you have to pick the values that are right for you. Totally, totally, yeah, no, great. Uh, 
I'd say why not try both too right now, especially if you're you have the chance to kind of experiment with some stuff. Why not try try both? Try a workout where you do six times, you know, six minutes maybe, uh, maybe three times six minutes, something like that. But you change the incline between and you just see which one's more fun. Why why not try that? Sounds sounds like a good time. All right, I think that's all. Now I think we've covered everything. So uh, once again, thank you to the Strike Unity. Yeah, awesome. Uh, this will go out as podcast form as well. So thank you to anybody listening or watching. We'll be back uh, next week with another episode. It's hard to believe it's Friday already. Um, it just seems like it's like every other day we do one of these. But yeah, uh, everybody enjoy your Friday, enjoy your weekend. We'll be back with another one shortly. Great webinars coming next week. We have a sports psychologist and we have a, a dietitian nutritionist on Wednesdays. So yep. see you all there. Awesome. Take care, everybody. Thank you so much for watching, Gus. It was good to be on with you. Thanks, Evan. Bye now. Bye.